T-Bone He's on the other side T-Bone He's on the other side T-Bone Broncos Podcast on the other side T-Bone Broncos Podcast on the other side T-Bone He sets the tone Originates Opinionates T-Bone Musicality Originality Any day of the week Brian Cuts Podcast on the other side T-Bone Brian Cuts The talk space Where musicians matter Welcome to T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the Other Side, Episode 7. Today our guest is the amazing guitarist, singer, and songwriter, Damon Johnson. Today we'll discuss his work ethic, early bands, meeting Stevie Ray Vaughan, Brother Kane, opening for Van Halen, writing and recording with Sam Hagar, touring and writing with Alice Cooper, joining Thin Lizzy, Black Star Writers, filling in for Gary Rossington and Leonard Skinner, and of course, Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. Without further ado, here's Damon Johnson. Welcome to T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the other side. Our guest today is the great Damon Johnson. Damon, how are you? T-Bone, I'm really good, <laughs> man. It's uh. It's nice to talk to you, man. I feel like we sort of met via social media. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are easy to criticize about social media. <laughs> but <laughs> but one, of the, uh, one of the positives, man, is it, it definitely gives people that have similar interests an opportunity to connect. So Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's cool to talk to you today. Now... Okay, now I'm. This is going to be a weird way to start a podcast, but this is important to me, and I know it's important to you. And there are a lot of young musicians that need to hear this. I wanted. I wanted to start off talking about your work ethic and being on time. Well, listen, Damon had to be a little late today, and he sent me two emails. <laughs> Two, two emails. Other people were just showed up late. He sent two emails. He, he is dedicated to always being on time, and, and the work ethic is amazing. So I, wh- where did that come from? Oh, wow. Well, um, some of that definitely came from my parents. Uh, you know, I'm so fortunate, man. I, both my parents are healthy and doing great, and, you know, they were just hard-working blue-collar people my whole life and you know just being on time it just helps you accomplish so many things not the least of which is the respect of the people that are working with you maybe the respect of the people that have hired you etc etc but I also got to give a lot of credit to my amazing wife Terry Uh, my wife Linda she's uh I mean, she might as well have it tattooed on my forehead. She's always saying, you know, work smarter and not harder. Uh, You know, I'm always working hard, man. So I've just found, man, that if you'll be on time, if you if you deliver what you tell people you're going to do, it only helps. It just helps me be more productive throughout my whole day, man. And look, Mm -hmm. I got too much respect for you and your time. 
Thank and you. if you say, hey, man, let's rock at four o'clock and I say, all right, I agree, then uh, I'm going to be there at four o'clock. And if something comes up, I'm going to definitely let you know. <laughs> now, we've all been in bands with people who had problems with time and that it just messes up everything within the band. But then, like you say, with the uh, with the bar owners and, you know, and the concert promoters and everything else, it. it it just makes you look bad. Man, there's no doubt about it. And look, I, I can't cast any stones at anyone. I absolutely went through a phase early in my career where I think me and the guys in the band, I mean, this even in the Brother Kane days, man, I think we almost felt like it was kind of hip to yeah. be, quote, fashionably late. You yeah. know, you, you heard that all the time. And Oh, yeah, it definitely was. I, if I could go back, man, I would do that differently. I would be on time. Hey, look, for the most part, we were. You know, we had we had a great radio promotional staff at our record company, and they were always delivering interviews for us, on-air appearances at radio stations, you know, bringing our acoustic guitar. We said yes to everything. We, we would always say yes, we'll be there. And, um, you know, man, everything has changed so much about the way um, – music is grown and marketed and you know how people find out about it and look man it's it's i'm probably working easily as hard if not harder now than i ever did for that very sure. reason it's just it's just so difficult man to reach any sort of critical mass especially in rock music uh it was so i i always feel really lucky to have starting my career in the time period that I did because rock was king. Rock was the cultural influence in everything, fashion, film. Um, and it's just not like that anymore, man. And that's okay. That's the ebb and flow of life. And that's how it goes. But um, there's no doubt, man, that, uh, that my work ethic has, has served me well and it continues to, and, um, I can't promise you that my kids are picking up on any of that, <laughs> so, uh, but we'll see, man. There's, there's always hope. There's always hope. Okay. Now to go back a little ways. Uh, I, I know that you and I both like a lot of the same, uh, artists and guitarists, but when you first started playing, who were some of the people that made you go, Oh man, I, yeah, I want to play guitar. Yeah, there's no doubt, man. Um, I mean, I was lucky. I grew up around the guitar a little bit. My dad plays a little. Sure. So there was an acoustic at the house. He had, an, he had a younger brother that was really good, and I would hear him play. And so that, that kind of first got me interested in guitar. But like so many other kids that were in grade school in, uh, you know, like 77, 78, you know, man, we, me and my friends, we all discovered this core of bands at the same time. And to start out, it was, it was Leonard Skinner. It was Kiss. Um, you know, we loved Rush right from the beginning. Although we felt like Rush was way too complicated, we couldn't <laughs> sit down. And, we couldn't figure that stuff out, but we loved them. Um, and then very shortly after that, I got into Aerosmith and Zeppelin, uh, Thin Lizzy uh, in the late seventies, and. Um, you know, man, then when Van Halen hit the scene, that was that was a total game oh, changer yeah. for me on a personal level, because the energy of the show 
uh, changed my life. I saw them when I was in high school. But of course, Eddie's guitar playing was was um, no one had ever heard or seen anything like that. And I wanted to try to soak up as much of that as I could. And I never really learned to play like like Edward. But man, no one listened to more Van Halen than than yours truly. (laughs) I promise you that. Uh, there were guys that could sit down and figure out some of that stuff, but I just, I just love the music and the songs and the, you know, the, the harmony vocals and all that stuff, man, Van Halen had everything. So that was, that was really big for me starting out. And then I got into the blues, man, you know, Jimmy Page kind of started me in that direction. Stevie Ray was massive, you know, a real game changer for me because, you know, after Eddie Van Halen arrived, Terry, as you know, the playing got faster and more technical, you know, as far as other players and other guys trying to imitate Eddie. And I remember, man, there was this moment when almost at the same time, like maybe even the same month, it's like Yngwie Malmsteen hit the scene and Stevie Ray Vaughan hit the scene right at the same time. And I felt like it was a crossroads for me. It's like, well, I'm either going to go one path or the other. You can't, you can't be devoted to both of those types right. of playing. So there was no question, man, that it was uh, fortuitous for me, not just as a guitar player, but later even as a songwriter, that Stevie Ray became a, a real beacon of light for me. Gary Moore later, you know, and, you know, Billy Gibbons, Easy Top, all that stuff. So that's always been underneath there. Listen, Angus Young is one of the greatest oh, sure. guitar players of all time. So I... I just feel like my influences have just been superb and I wouldn't change a thing. I don't feel like I missed out on anything. Um, you know, I might've started song writing a little sooner, but that's okay, man. I got there eventually. And, uh, but yeah, those, those are the guitar guys that really got it going for me. Yeah. We're, we're about the same age. So I, I came up on all the same people too. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Man. And there were there were other bands. Listen, I loved Bad Company. Oh, I sure. loved I loved Free. I loved Bachman Turner Overdrive. I loved Pat Travers. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. Oh, yeah. You know, t- tip of the hat too, man. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It's wild. As much as I was so into all of these really hot shot guitar players, there was something about Tom Petty's music when he hit the scene with that first record and I remember hearing breakdown on the radio. Yeah. Uh, something about the sound of his voice. You know, I could almost tell instinctively that he was from the South. I didn't know he was from Florida originally, but there was something Southern about him that really spoke to me as well. So um, I think Tom gets a lot of credit for kind of getting me thinking about songwriting sure. beyond, beyond just guitar playing. Now, I know you had a lot of bands but one of your first big breaks was when you got the residency at a club. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about, um, you're talking about Pat Upton. Pat yes, was yes, a, yes. Yeah, man. So Pat ironically went to high school with my mother <laughs> in uh, this really tiny town in Northeast Alabama called Geraldine, which is where my mom lives to this day. That's where I graduated high school. Anyway, Pat was a rock star, man. He had been a member of a band called The Spiral Staircase. Yes. And in 19, either 70 or 71, 
they had a top 10 hit called I Love You More Today Than Yesterday. Yeah. And Pat spent a better part of a decade or more living in California. And then he moved back to Alabama and opened up a nightclub. And through a really great chain of events, I wound up auditioning for the guitar player spot in that band. And um, those guys were all older than me, T. And it was such an incredible learning experience for me because these guys turned me on to a lot of bands I had not really been exposed to. Uh, I think in particular, like Little Feet, Todd Rundgren, um, you know, even like Elton John's early stuff, man. Like that early Elton John band was so badass. You know, Nigel Olsen on drums and Davy Johnstone and Dee Murray on the bass. They were a great four-piece band. So um, that was a huge growth period for me because playing guitar in that house band we would play four nights a week three sets a night and we covered everything man the pop songs on the radio classic rock r&b motown um you know when they would give me a guitar feature you know yeah. so i could play some of that van halen stuff and it was uh it was incredible man those those were great times and that was like the mid 80s 85 86 uh, really an important uh, experience for me, for sure. Now, it does tell us how you got into Split the Dark, because I know that was the next big move. Yeah, man. So Split the Dark was a band also from Alabama, but they were from Birmingham, which is the big city here. And two of the guys in Split the Dark had previously been in an even bigger band called Hotel. And Hotel was all over the radio when I was in high school. Um, they played all over the Southeast and I never got to see hotel specifically, but I did see split the dark, um, uh, you know, playing it like they would play the uh, fraternity parties after the college football games in Auburn or in Alabama. And, uh, I saw them in a club a couple of times and they were special, you know, they had a song on the radio and to all of us, man, they were, Oh yeah. They were the real thing. They were from where we were from, but they had they had achieved, they had accomplished things that we just felt like wasn't possible. So it was very encouraging to me to see a band from Alabama, you know, have a video on MTV, have a song on the radio. And there's no question that got my wheels spinning like, well, wow, maybe one day I could do that. So you can imagine how I felt when the singer from Split the Dark saw me play in a club one night and asked me to join their band. It was, (laughs) I mean, Terry, I I couldn't have been, I've said this quote before, man, I couldn't have been more excited if David Bowie had asked me. It was a big, big, big deal. And uh, I joined their band, started working with them. I moved uh, my very young family to Birmingham uh, to be in Split the Dark. So that was uh, that was like early August or September of 1987. That's when I, I moved to, to Birmingham. Yeah. Now, I, I know that uh, after that, you played in Witness. And uh, I mean, that's a big deal too. But I want to talk about uh, Delta Rebels because I'm a huge Eddie Shaver fan. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I first saw them on Conan O'Brien, I think it was uh, 94. And they were on there and, and did Georgia on a fast train. And I went out the next day and got the record uh, Tramp on Your Street. And then the, the Unshaven, that live record is one of the best records ever. Bro, listen. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more, Terry. Um, wow, that's so cool that you know about Eddie. Oh, anyone, yeah. anyone that I ever come across that does know about Eddie Shaver, they feel the same way about him that I do. Oh, he yeah. was pound for pound, maybe the greatest oh, American yeah. guitarist in history, man. I mean, that guy. I mean, it was all blues and Texas red dirt country. You know, his dad was a legend. Oh, yeah, Billy, yeah absolutely. Billy, Billy Joe. Yeah, Billy Joe Shaver, legend, wrote all those Waylon Jennings songs and made all those great records himself. And yeah, that was a bolt of lightning that I was not anticipating. Um, I could have been really intimidated in that moment because I was pretty... I was pretty confident when I joined the Delta Rebels. Um, I didn't know who the other guitar player was going to be. And, you know, it didn't even matter. I, I was <laughs> thinking, well, I'm going to be the lead guitar player. I yeah. hope this guy's, I hope this guy's comfortable playing <laughs> rhythm. <you know? laughs> and um, I mean, you know, forgive me for being redundant, Terry, because I've told the story a few times, but it was one of the it was one of the most pivotal days in my whole musical life to uh, go to Memphis for the very first rehearsal. It's the first time all five band members were going to be there. I was early, definitely on time, set up my stuff, got I had I think I had a red Kramer with a Floyd Rose on it, you know. <laughs> And I had a I had a rack with some effects in it and a bunch of pedals on the floor. Well, the singer R.T. Scott, he's there. My drummer Eddie Boyd, he's there. James Flynn, the bass player, who was R.T.'s age, they they had been in bands together in Memphis. So the four of us are there. This Eddie guy's late, and you know, so R.T.'s like, well, let's just jam, let's play some of the songs, let's work on some of the stuff. So, man, we played for half an hour, still no Eddie. And finally, we're playing. The door opens and this guy comes walking in. I swear to God, I thought he was like a roadie, like a guitar roadie. <laughs> he had on a beat up leather jacket. These cool as shit boots, but they were just beat to hell. He had a gig bag over his shoulder and a cigarette dangling out of his mouth. And his hair was kind of like had grown sort of in his face. So he just seemed kind of shy. And yeah, I just like, oh, that must be Eddie's guitar tech or his guitar guy, you know. So we're playing. And out of the corner of my eye, I watched this guy walk over to the amp. He sets everything on the floor. He takes the speaker cabinet and turns it around to face against the wall. He pulls out this beat up Stratocaster out of that bag. I swear, Terry, it looked like it had been drugged behind a pickup truck on a gravel road, man. <laughs> I mean, it was rough. He put the guitar on. He reached in and pulled out a guitar cable. 
no effects, no nothing. Plugged in the guitar straight into the amp. He took his arm and he put it up on the controls. He goes and just rolled all the time. And my friend, he reached around and clicked on the standby on that amp. And he hit one note. And it, I was never the same. I was never the same after that. I had never heard a tone like that. I had never been punched in the face with authenticity at that level. I had never, I'd never gotten close to it or seen it. You could have described it to me and been like, well, this is what it's going to be if you ever come across the real fucking deal. Pardon my language. But that was it. And thanks to the gods of the universe, man, that I had the wherewithal to recognize it and not get insecure and not just go, well, I'm not going to play with this guy. There was none of that. I was like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to learn. I'm going to learn. This guy knows so much more than I do. If he would just be my friend, (laughs) you know, and, uh, true to that hope that's exactly what happened there we became great friends and uh pivotal moment for me buddy pivotal it it changed my guitar playing it changed my sound it changed my focus it changed my commitment to doing whatever i could do to be authentic myself and i had a lot to learn at that point man so uh really grateful for that uh Tell us a little bit about uh, your your meeting with Steve Ray Vaughn. Now, I saw him twice on that last tour. Unreal, almost a spiritual experience. I mean, it really was. You you, yeah. you just seen him. I, I was uh, the second show. I was much closer than was the first one, and he opened with the testify, and just it went. He would go up on his toes like, and he's just like. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, uh, you know, I only saw Stevie live a couple of times, but I had anytime he was on television, I saw it. I bought every record he put out, oh, yeah. and um, you know, any magazine he was in, I was reading about it. Uh, so yeah, he played in Birmingham in November of 1989 i'm trying to remember when when was the helicopter crash was that it was in 90 it was uh august of 90 okay okay so he was in birmingham in november of 89 doing that uh co-headlining tour with jeff beck and oh um, yeah yeah man my uh, i was so lucky man i had a really good manager friend at that time and um, his, his partner was also, they were concert promoters. So they were involved with bringing the shows to town. So, uh, Michael trucks, Michael was so great, man. He called me and said, Hey, do you want to come down to this show? Stevie Ray and Jeff Beck. I was like, Oh my God. Yes. Thank you. So that night, Stevie opened, he played first and Jeff, Jeff went on at the end, but, um, you know, after Stevie's show, Michael brought me back to the backstage area. And it's really small at this auditorium, Battle Auditorium. There wasn't a lot of room. And 
So it was kind of a scuttlebutt going on and I was just trying to stay out of the way. But in a minute, I saw Stevie Ray standing there in the hallway, kind of shaking hands and talking to a few people. And so Michael goes, Damon, come with me. So he just walked straight up to Stevie and he says, Hey, Stevie, I want you to meet our local gunslinger. Oh man. <laughs> this is Damon Johnson. And I just like, I just like dropped my head. I was like, Oh no. Why did you say that? <laughs> and I guess I looked a little embarrassed or something. And Terry, it was just, it was so special, man. Stevie came straight over and put his arm around me. He said, hey, brother, don't let that stuff bother you. He goes, I've been hearing that stuff my whole life, man. He said, that don't mean nothing. He goes, I'm sure his exact words were, I'm sure you are a real fine player. I said, well, thanks, man. I appreciate you saying that. I said, uh, he's like, well, tell me what, what you got going. What's happening? I says, well, I'm really a Les Paul player, but I did get a strat a couple years ago, thanks to you. And he winked at me. And um, I said, I got a band and I'm starting to, I've written a bunch of songs and I've been in Memphis a lot this year, but I'm, I'm kind of ready to do my own thing. And he goes, man, I relate to that. And he revisited some of his story, which of course he played with everybody in Dallas and in Austin before he became Stevie right. Ray Vaughan in Double Trouble. And uh, yeah, man, right around the corner here in my, uh, in my office, I still have the uh, a beautiful picture of Stevie that was in uh, Guitar World magazine. It was like a poster. And then up on the top of that poster, I framed that backstage pass oh, that wow. he signed. And he said the greatest thing on that pass. He said, to Damon, all the best in living and playing. Oh, man. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Wow. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I've signed that on a few musicians. You know, anytime a young player comes up, or, you know, and I can feel that energy from him that reminds me of the energy I had that night. I've, I've written those words to a couple of guys, and I mean, shit, man, it makes me emotional just, just thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, I bet. Uh, but it's really powerful stuff. Supporting T-Bone Prime Cuts on the Other Side podcast gives you interesting inside views from the talk space where musicians matter. Go to tbpcpodcast.com and click the donate button. All contributions are much appreciated. Now we're up to, to, or roughly up to Brother Kane. And I know that they that band started as what, tri, uh, Child, right? That's right, Child. With a Y. It, yeah, Child with a Y. Uh, I, the Delta Rebels thing ran out of gas. And uh, so I came back to Birmingham. And like I said, I had a really good manager, my buddy Conrad Rayfield. And he was super supportive. He's like, well, look, let's let's find you a singer uh, and let's write some songs and we'll demo them up. We'll see what we can get going. And so um, I started working with a guy that I liked a lot. And we were, we started out very kind of British metal, you know, because mm -hmm. the singer was very kind of, you know, he could hit those high notes like Rob Halford. Right. He had that aggressiveness, sort of, a, of an Ian Gillen, uh, 
little bit of Axl Rose in there. There was some of that. And of course, I was way into all those bands. But I just, I had a bunch of guitar riffs and chord progressions and things. And things came together pretty quickly. We had some songs that I thought were pretty good. And I put a rhythm section together. We came up with that name. We started shopping. And, uh, you know, with Conrad's help. And, you know, pretty quickly, we started getting feedback. And it was pretty consistent, Terry. People were either, they weren't sure about the singer or they didn't like the singer at all. They didn't like his voice. Some pretty good comments about some of the songs and you know, they would always say nice things about my guitar playing and whatever, but it was really Virgin Records. Uh, literally the, like the last label we showcased for. Um, they came and uh, Aaron Jacobus came to Alabama from Los Angeles and saw us play because he really liked the tape, liked the songs. And uh, he got so excited about the band, he just said, listen, I'm going to sign Damon to a development deal and I'm going to help him find a singer. Wow. And so that's what ultimately led to Brother Kane. We had a couple other guys that I worked with. You know, the thing for me, man, is I just, I just want to hang out with people that are cool and that are fun and that want to make it happen. Yeah. And there was no shortage of those people, man, in 1990, 91. Uh, you know, rock was alive and well. Uh, the Black Crows had just dropped their first record, and that had everybody excited right after Guns N' Roses, who we all love. So there was just good energy, man. And, um, you know, there was a fateful night in, uh, in Birmingham the record company had come to town to kind of check our progress. And, you know, it's one of those three sets a night, yeah. you know, playing all night. So to give the singer a break, I would sing some cover songs. So Aaron was there, Aaron Zukovas, and he heard me sing those songs and he pulled me off to the side and he's like, Hey man, you didn't, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know you could sing. And You know, I've told the story before, man, I was like, no way, bro. I'm not going to be the singer. And he said, listen, we've been working on this for six months. We spent a sizable amount of money. We're running out of time. Let's go in tomorrow. Let's get you behind the microphone. And uh, let's just see. Let's just see what it sounds like. And all credit to my bass player, Glenn Maxey. Uh, Glenn Glenn was the only person in child that also made the transition into brother Kane and uh, Glenn famously, you know, pulled me up, kind of pushed me against the wall. He goes, listen, you have to do this, man. You, you know, yeah, I think he had more confidence in me than I had in myself at that time. And so uh, that was a really important moment, you know, to have a guy that had been riding shotgun with me to say, yeah, man, you can do yeah. this. Let's, let's go. Let's go. So, um, you know, and things move pretty quick. As you know, uh, we put out that debut record in 93. And uh, quickly, man, we had some noise happening at radio. And we were starting to open some big tours. And uh, it was a life-changing experience. Well, it, it was for me, too. As a guitarist, I, I was kind of getting sick of the way music was heading. There were still some good bands, but it was I didn't like where it was going and I was getting kind of frustrated 
And then when I heard uh, Got No Shame on the radio, I was like, I, I, I just totally perked up. You had to pull a car over and listen to it. Is that good? And well, actually, this was my next question, but you covered it. I was going to say you're such a great vocalist. It, it blows my mind that you weren't originally the singer. But, you know, you, you wanted to be you wanted to be the guitar player. Yeah, totally, man. I just I totally wanted to be Gary Rosington or I wanted to be Scott Gorham or Jimmy Page or yeah. Joe Perry. It's like or Slash, man. Come on. Yeah. It's like, yeah. God, I remember we used to just watch that video to Paradise City oh, yeah. on, on repeat. Sorry. <laughs> And, you know, man, when you're a young, when you're a naive musician, I mean, maybe naive is the wrong word, but I knew that my playing had developed to the point that I could do this. Like, man, I can do this for a living. All I need is to find a singer like that Axl Rose guy, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because he was a badass. And then he's flanked by three of the coolest looking guys oh, we yeah. ever laid eyes on, man. And they didn't look like they bought, you know, everyone was different. There was a, each guy had a, a unique thing. They were almost like Kiss in that way. Yeah. You know, Slash and Duff and Izzy and Axel, and of course, Steven Adler on the drums. But yeah, man, that was, all of that energy was informing what was up. So I knew I was not an Axl Rose. I didn't have the swagger and the panache of somebody like Chris Robinson, man, who I was a huge fan of the Black Crows. But I knew I could walk on stage with anybody and hold my own with my guitar playing. Sure. And here's that term again, T, my work ethic. I knew I would outwork anybody. I don't care who they are, where they're from. Nobody's going to work harder than me. So that was kind of what gave me that gumption. So I appreciate what you said about Got No Shame. We definitely moved the needle at that moment. And we didn't expect that. It's not like we thought, oh, well, this is a home run. This is, everything's going to start happening for us. We didn't believe that at all. We, we just got in the van and hit the road and started playing wherever we could play. So, you know. Those were big moments, man. You find out your song's been added to the riff in Detroit or the Eagle in Dallas. And, oh, we got some Leonard Skinner dates. Robert Plant is going to take us out, you know, in the fall. And then, you know, the big kahuna, man, we went out with Aerosmith in early 94. And I wish well, I'd have taken more pictures, man. <laughs> it, all, <laughs> it all went by really fast. Well, you mentioned the riff. I, I grew up in Metro Detroit. So, yeah, the riff, I listened to the riff. That and WLLZ, I listened to those two constantly. We, wheels, baby. Wheels in the riff. Those yep. were two early and huge supporters of Brother Kane. Really, really. Uh, I, they had a lot to do with our success nationwide, really, T. Because, as you know, those were, those were tastemaker stations. Yeah. If the riff in Detroit was going to add your song, then there were 30 other stations just in the Midwest alone that, that were going to add it. So um, it's uh, maybe it's no coincidence that I wound up marrying a, a Detroit girl. Yep. And, uh, you know, we met at a Brother Kane gig, not ironically. So, uh, 
but yeah, man, uh, you know, Brother Kane just opened every possible door for anything that I was committed to doing as an artist or as a professional musician, songwriting, performing, networking, uh, you know, it just, it, it really gave me my start, man. And I, there's certainly some things that we all would have done differently if we, if we would have that chance. But uh, we also recognized too, man, that we were one of the lucky few bands that really, uh, you know, we, we made an impact there for a minute sure. and uh, we'll, we'll I'll, me and the guys, man, we'll always be proud of that. Um, there's no question that what brother Kane accomplished, you know, it set the stage for all the other things that came after that for me, things that if you had have told me in 1999, when the band was breaking up, because I was bummed and confused and it was just, everything was a mess right then. If you had have said to me, Hey man, everything's going to be okay. You know, you're going to write a couple songs. Stevie Nicks is going to record one and Santana's going to cut one and you're going to play guitar for Alice Cooper. You're going to join Thin Lizzy. I would have been like, what? <laughs> you know, that's, that's not possible. Not, how can that happen? So, yeah, it's all thanks, all thanks to Brother K. Well, can we just talk a little bit about one song that it means the world to me off that first record? Of course. It was How Long. I, oh. I still listen to that like weekly or, or sometimes every day. That's a song too that your your vocal performance is amazing. I mean, Thank especially you. being the first record that you were the singer. It's emotional to listen to it and, and knowing what it's about is even more emotional. Well, thank you so much for that, Terry. Um, the guys and I are so proud of that song. And, you know, I said earlier, if we could have done some things differently, we would have. And one of those things is we would have released How Long as our second single after Got No Shave. Um, you know, we had some good success with the songs that we did release, but sure. How Long, you know, How Long had a social commentary that we as a band were committed to. And I think... I mean, we'll never know. We'll never know what would have happened had we taken that moment because I've told this, I've said it many times, man. I mean, those lyrics were inspired by the Rodney King beating and, you know, the verdict for the police officers and the riots that happened afterwards. I mean, we were so moved by that and, you know, we were too young to really get our heads around the civil rights movement in the 60s. You know, we were too young for yeah. that. But we definitely were old enough and, and worldly wise enough to know this is not right. And that song came out of that. We gathered for a rehearsal. Um, you know, we, were, we had finally gotten the, the, the final version of the band together. Scott Collier had just joined on drums. Uh, Roman was playing rhythm guitar. And I'll never forget, man, we all came to rehearsal that night after the, the verdict, you know, for that court case. And 
we just all sat around kind of stunned and uh, it was a scary moment, man, yeah. because you understood that that reaction was real. And, you know, the reaction in just the country, man, the riots and, you know, the nation crying like, hey, man, this is not justice. This is. And I'd never i would never thought about writing anything like that. You know, again, man, we're listening to Chris Robinson saying, you know, remedy and and twice as hard and yeah you know axel you know we 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 were so immersed in the user illusion records at that point so um it was just a powerful moment we captured it we captured how we felt about it and we got a really great song out of it and i feel like it's a timeless song that's what that's what's gonna say it was it was timely and it's become timeless I agree with you, man. It's a it's a really special song, and I'm always proud uh, to talk about that song. And again, thank you for uh, for your kind oh, words sure. about it. Yeah, no, it, it was it's important to me to be able to tell you. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, now that that record had a big impact, but I really think that you know, seeds of wishful, especially wishful. That may, that may not be as bombastic, if you will, or, you know, pardon me for saying, I think it's a better overall record. Oh, 100 percent. I could you you'll get no argument from me uh, about that. And you'll get no argument from the other guys in Brother K about that. Um, Wishpool was a complete body of work. It was more like a piece of art. Yeah. Uh, there are great songs on those first two records. Great song. You nailed great it. Great song. Yeah, you nailed it. And both those records are full of great songs and they have a vibe and they work together a certain way. And, you know, they're very reflective of the year in which they came out. But Wishpool was, I'll never say it was a concept record because it wasn't, but there was a congruency of the lyrical content of every all 12 songs on that record yeah you know all of us in the band were going through a lot of challenges um i was going through challenges in my in my marriage in my personal life and i never sat down and says well hey i'm gonna write about all this stuff it was never that man i was just writing songs we had to make another record i guess you know when you got the guitar in your hand uh i wrote a lot of those songs with my friend marty Fredrickson. You know, it's just where my head was at. So when he's like, well, what do you, you know, what do you want to sing about? Well, you know, I was all consumed with these, these challenges in my personal life. So it was inevitable that that stuff was going to, going to come out. And, uh, you know, man, a couple of times a year to this day, I'll put on Wishpool, put on my headphones oh, and yeah. just li- listen in or in sequence, top to bottom. And it's always such a powerful listening experience. Uh, of course, it's a shame that the record didn't yeah. do more or reach more people, but um, it's, it, uh, man, it might be, you know, it might be one of those, certainly a desert island disc of my contributions as a writer and a storyteller. Yeah. Um, Kelly Gray did an incredible job producing the band on that record. 
uh, in every way, especially with my vocals. He got, he absolutely got the best vocal performances, uh, certainly that I'd done up to that point without a mm -hmm. doubt. So, um, good stuff, man. Seeds, Wishpool, uh, a lot of great songs throughout those three records. And, uh, you know, it's so fun now to run into not just fans, but, but, you know, friends that we've met in other bands over the years. And, you know, those are just like, Hey man, wow. That, that seeds record was so awesome. And I love bread maker. Or I love, you know, yeah. horses and needles or whatever, man. It's yeah. uh, it's just such a great achievement that I don't think any of us will ever take for granted. I certainly won't, uh, especially now knowing uh, again, man, how low on the totem pole rock music is. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we had a great run and, uh, you know, I keep in touch with all those guys and, um, it's fun to, you know, as I do my solo stuff, I still play those songs. I, mean, sure. I play, I play lots of them. And so it's equally gratifying to get a reaction from the fans or to talk to them after the show. And, and uh, there's a lot of love for brother K for sure. So how, how did you hook up with Marty? I mean, people know him as a writer. I mean, a prolific writer and then, producing and i don't i don't think a lot of people know that that was him doing the singing on almost famous yeah for jason lee well i met marty before all of that you know we oh, we sure. always we all always joke around and say we we discovered each other <laughs> uh and, and that's really how it was man i had i had that development deal with virgin i had only been writing songs for two or three years at the most and when we signed our record deal, Virgin also had a publishing company and they were very helpful in putting me with some other songwriters to co-write. And I would get a bag of cassette tapes mailed to my house from the publishing company and I would listen to all of them. Man. And I just remember being super underwhelmed by how many of them were, it just sounded like people trying to write, you know, you give love a bad name or no offense to any of those writers yeah. or to any of those songs. But I was just in such a different headspace and Marty's tape. They were, they were all just very formula. Yeah. A lot of that stuff was formula. Yeah. And the, the tape, the tape that Marty sent, certainly was of the times lyrically mm -hmm. but sonically the drums man were just in your face the guitar was it just sounded like joe perry you know and i just i called the publishing company i'm like i don't know who this guy is but whoever he is i would love to get with him because yeah. i can tell we both have some cheap trick records and some you know, and some Aerosmith records and, and some new wave records, you know, psychedelic furs and, you know, the police like we I could just tell, man, yeah. we had a lot of stuff in common. So uh, that's exactly the case. And, uh, you know, Brother Kane would not have happened without Marty's help. That's a fact. He, um, you know, we, we we had some good songs already, but we didn't have got no shame or hard act to follow or the road. Um, you know, hard act to follow might've been the demo 
that gave us the green light to go make a record. That's you know, great, when, great too. When, Aaron, when Aaron Jacobus heard Hard Act to Follow, he got real excited. <laughs> <laughs> I remember him jumping up and down in his living room at his house in L.A. And because I would I would stay right down the street from Aaron's house and we would have breakfast every morning and talk about the plan for the week and whatever. He got really excited. He's like, there's something here. Like, you need to write more songs with this guy. And that's what we did, man. Uh, Don't Turn Your Back on Me. That was another Marty song that made, that's on the record. So, um, yeah, Marty's, he's, he's incredible, man. He's incredible. He, Marty's one of the most talented people I've ever met. And, you know, that's another example, really, Terry, of me. I'm proud of myself that I didn't get intimidated by Marty. It's easy to get intimidated by somebody like that. And it's just like Eddie Shaver. It was, it was the other way for me. I knew immediately like, wow, I can learn from this guy, this guy, this guy I can learn from and he's cool and he listens to the right stuff. And Marty was also very smart. You know, he was wise enough to be like, all right, Damon's got his shit together. He's got a band. He's singing. He's open to suggestions about vocal melodies and things like that. And, uh, you know, he taught me, man, if you're going to be a songwriter, you got to just get in the room, sit down and don't get out of that chair until the song is finished. And if it takes you three days, then that's what it's going to take. And that's what we're going to do. He taught me that. It was awesome. It's not an accident that you're connecting with all these people, because if you weren't as well, as good as you are, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have met, you know, him, you wouldn't have met Al Cooper, you wouldn't be in thin list, you know, all these things happen for a reason. There's no question, man. There's no doubt. And I just know that I wouldn't have, none of those things would have happened without a team of people. Yeah. You know, there's no question, man, that I, whenever it was my turn to deliver, I delivered what was needed for me. But, you know, there were so many people along the way, especially Conrad Rayfield, Aaron Jacobus, Marty Fredrickson, pivotal people, man. Yeah. No, things would have not been the same without each one of them, vitally important. And I guess, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it makes me think of, you know, the incredible experience I've just had this past fall, Terry, filling in for Gary Rosington. Yeah, the relationships help connect those dots and open those doors. But at some point, I have to show up, plug yep. in, yep, and, you know, hit that first note. You got to perform. And I... It's always my deepest gratitude, man. At that moment when I hit that first note and I can tell the energy in the room, the looks on people's faces when they go, oh, there it is. Yeah. Now I know what the big deal is. Now I know why he got the call. Now I know why, you know, management was talking about this guy or, Ricky Medlock was talking about this guy. Um, I'm so proud of that, man. I'm so proud of that. Uh, all that has brought that about is just tenacity and hard work 
and a love, deep love of music. There are more talented guys, brother. There are more talented guys than me, for sure. Singing, playing, guys look better in leather pants than I do. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, it's been an awesome ride. You can help support this podcast by visiting tbpcpodcast.com slash shop and selecting an iconic T-Bones Prime Cuts mug. That website again is tbpcpodcast.com slash shop. I was just going to talk a little bit about the when you got to open for Van Halen on the Balance Shore, and and yes. hanging out with you know what you played about what eleven shows or something like that. 11 yeah, shows. I, I, yeah, I think it might have been closer to. Sorry, man, I lost you for a second. I think it could have been a little closer to like fourteen. Fourteen, uh, I okay. would say four, fourteen or fifteen shows. It was a great run. Um, yeah, man, just nuts. I mean, I was excited about every phone call we got from the office. Hey, guys, you're going to do some Robert Plant dates. You know, I was excited about every one of them. But there's no question, man, that to get to open for Van Halen, the band, the band that put me on my path. I loved all kinds of bands and guitar players and singers and songwriters and all that. But Van Halen was a force of nature. and to just get an endorsement from them. Like, hey, oh, yeah. we, want, we want this band to come on the road with us and share the stage with us because, you know, they had heard Ann Fools Shine On on the radio and other people in their road crew or their management. They were like, oh, yeah, that's a good band. Or I saw them play, blah, 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 whatever. So, yeah, man, it was, it was insane. It was awesome. We played... Uh, a lot of big shows we played with them, Terry, but the biggest was when we played Birmingham. We got to play Hometown. Oh, oh yeah. Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center, the same place I saw them on the Women and Children First Tour oh, in 1980. Um, it was biblical, man. It was, <laughs> it was biblical. It was, it was great. It was, it was amazing. So I mean, it, it had to mean a lot too. Then when after after they broke up, that Sammy Hagar called you to to write songs with him and yeah, play man. the record too. Yeah, really fun, really really special. I love Sam. Sam is such a soulful human being, and he uh, yeah, he was a he, he loved and fool shine on man. He would walk down the hallway singing it. Uh, you know, we'd come off stage from sound check and he'd, he'd just be standing there. He loved it. He loved it. So yeah, it's a real honor for Sammy to call me. And, uh, that was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, sometimes when I've worked with heavy cats like that, it does take me a minute to sort of settle my, not my nerves, but just to kind of go, okay, man, look, you have every reason to be here. Just because this is a big star that has sold millions and millions of records, that has nothing to do with how authentic I am and where I'm coming from with my ideas. 
you know, with my song ideas, guitar ideas, whatever. And, you know, Sam just, he just put my mind at ease right out of the gate. And uh, I thought we came up with a great song and uh, just another, just another great memory, man. Um, I've been keeping in touch with Sam a little bit lately, just via email. And, um, you know, I'm hoping our paths cross really soon. That, that would be a great, if you could play with them, that would be great. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I know that you've, well, you've touched on it earlier, but you've written songs that were recorded by some big names and, and you didn't write them for them. They, they actually found it or somebody found the songs or passed them on. But what, what did that mean to you, especially in that first one? Yeah, well, for sure, man. The Stevie Nicks song was the first, you know, big like yeah. outside cut. And uh, indeed, I wrote, I wrote that song with my friend John Shanks. And I wrote that in a batch of songs. This was right after Brother Kane had disbanded. I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. And my great friend at the publishing company, Sharona Sabag, Sharona said, listen, Damon, you should keep writing at the very least. Keep writing. Like, why don't you make a trip out? Let's get you and John together. Cause John and I had written a song that was on Wishpool, a really great song called where was I to know. And John is, is another badass like Marty, uh, Jesus, man, John Shanks has won Grammy Awards for songs he's written and records he's produced. So now, doesn't he play with Bon Jovi or something? He is. He's he's yeah. he's been playing guitar in Bon Jovi. Uh, I guess, man, for the last ten years almost, he's been a part of it for for quite some time. But um, yeah, man. So John and I wrote this song, and he was uh, at that time he was Melissa Etheridge's guitar player. Mm -hmm. And Melissa and Stevie Nicks shared management. Okay. So he heard from management that Stevie was looking for one more song to finish her record. And uh, talk about great work ethic, man. John, John is a, he never misses anything, man. So he put together a CD to send to Stevie that had like 15 songs on it that John had written or co-written over the last several months and he asked me he goes hey man can i put that song in there he didn't tell me he was going to send it to yeah. i didn't I, I didn't know any of that so yeah that was an incredible day to get a call from john he was at the studio with stevie and he held the phone up you know this was this was still the days of the old you know regular yeah, right exactly. the, the hard telephone he held it up to the speakers. He goes, hey, man, check it out. I think we got a cut on our song. And I could tell it was a female, but I just over the phone, I was yeah. like, man, that, that voice sounds really familiar. And I thought it was maybe like a, you know, like some young, like one of those Disney girls, singers, oh, yeah. you know, like, like, a, like, a Hillary, like a Hillary Duff, you know, yeah. my, my daughter listened to all that stuff. I would hear it at, at my house all sure. the time. And he goes, he goes, do you know who that is? I said, <laughs> I said no, who is it? He goes, it's Stevie Nicks. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. Come on. And, um, 
Every Day is a really simple, beautiful song. Great pop song, man. And, uh, you know, the lyric was inspired by my girlfriend who was about to become my fiance, who is now my wife and has been since 2002, Linda. And, uh, you know, again, man, it's like, you know, I just remember John's like, what are we going to write about? And I'm like, man, I'm crazy about this girl, you know, like, whatever. And we just had this chord progression and this simple, almost nursery rhyme kind of melody. And uh, I had been talking about trying to start this new relationship because I had just divorced and, you know, things were a mess. But uh, it inspired that lyric, man. Every day I see you, every day I feel you, every day I need you. Um, it's timeless, man. Yeah, It's timeless. It, you know, it's just a great song. And uh, all credit to Sharona, credit to John Shanks, and, uh, and the legend, Stevie Nicks, man. Really, really exciting for me. Somewhere in this time frame was uh, started the Alice Cooper bit. Yeah. And uh, not, not only playing in the band, but actually writing songs on, uh, what was it, Dirty Diamonds? Dirty Diamonds. Yeah, you know, man. Yeah. Everything. That, that title cut, that title cut is killer. It's killer. Yeah. So many great songs on that record. And I, I swear, man, as time passes, I like that record more and more. Uh, I was so distracted in my life at that time, focused, you know, working hard. But Linda and I had just had our first child together. I had just joined Alice Cooper. And, you know, our life was a little bit upside down because, uh, you know, Alice toured a lot. I was out of town a lot. And so things were just wacky. But, uh, yeah, to get to play with Alice, you know, it was a experience. It was a job that I needed, even though I didn't realize I needed it. Yeah. At that time, Terry, um, you know, Brother Kane had been. We had all worked so hard. And we were kind of all exhausted, like we were just fed up. That was really part of why the band broke up. We were just we were just kind of threw our hands up like, man, we just delivered Wishpool. And if Wishpool isn't going to move the needle, then we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what else to do. Right. So it was just nice, man, to um, certainly to get get the respect of someone like Alice and the guys in his band. You know, all those guys I'm friends with to this day. Talented musicians, good people. And um, I don't know, maybe maybe I did need a little validation right then. Maybe my, my confidence needed a shot in the arm. And that was certainly what I got playing with Alice. And uh, it was special that, you know, I did about six weeks of dates with him at the end of the year in 2004. And early 05, he called and he said, hey, man, this is what we're doing. We're going to make a record. Uh, and I'd love for you to, you know, he goes, have you got any ideas? And I was like, hell yeah, man, <laughs> I'm loaded, I'm loaded with ideas. I got tons of stuff. So, so exciting to sit in that room for the first time and watch this guy who I had not only seen 
as the performer, but I had seen Alice as a husband, as a father, as a, as a rock star personality. But I, then Terry, I got to see him turn into Alice Cooper, the songwriter. And very quickly, man, I just remember going, okay, there it is. He's doing it. You know, he would just sit there with his pen and paper. And he'd say, all right, man, play that riff again. And I would just play it. And, you know, he'd like, hmm, and he'd write. And he'd say, keep playing it. And he'd write. And he'd go, okay, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, and he would read, you know, he would read some over that opening line to Dirty Diamonds. It just sounded like a gangster movie. And I was <laughs> saying, wow, you know, I would have never thought of lyrics like that. And, uh, you know, Alice is just, he's a big brother, Terry. He's, he's a big brother that I never had. He's taught me so much. He's the greatest role model any of us in rock and roll could ever have. Look, man, we've all been through the ups and downs and, you know, we've made things hard on ourselves and whatever it is, man, drugs and booze and women and money and, you know, Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper has been doing it right for, you know, certainly, man, since he got sober in the 80s. Uh, he's just been like a howitzer, man, just mowing oh, yeah. through through the life and just winning and killing it and rocking. And he's never done a bad show. He loves rock and roll as much right now as he did in the late 60s when he walked into Frank Zappa's house. Um, so, again, man, an experience I never saw coming and a life change for me, for my family. And, uh, you know, again, that was a big step that led to, to other things later. Now, that led to the Thin Lizzy job, and, and that had to be a dream gig. Yeah, man, Thin Lizzy was a dream gig. Um, you know, on paper, I'm still a part of Thin Lizzy. You know, the band just hasn't done very much in right. recent years. But, um, yeah, all those years giving interviews, you know, wherever I did my first interview and Brother came, up until whatever interview I did while I was in Alice Cooper in 2010 and 11, when people would ask the generic, understandably obvious question, what are your influences? You know, Thin Lizzy was pretty much always the first band that would oh, pop yeah. out of my mouth, you know, because they were the total package. You know, I was, I did a deep dive on the guitar players first, Scott Gorham, Brian Robertson, Gary Moore, Snowy White. Uh, um, I'm having a total, Eric Bell, you know, man. But then, Phil Lynott's songwriting probably influenced, you know, all those early songs for me that I was trying to write. His influence was greater than anyone, greater than the Beatles, greater than the Stones, greater than anyone. Because he was, there was some poetry involved in his lyrics. There was, his vocal phrasing was unlike anyone else, man. He, he almost phrased like Bob Dylan, but with like yeah. Van, Mor Van Morrison melodies and, just outer worldly, so special, so unique. Um, 
So, yeah, I just I never saw that one coming, you know, never saw that coming. And there's no way that Thin Lizzy would have happened for me had it not been for Alice Cooper. Because uh, Lizzie and Alice did a couple shows together. The thin, you know, Scott Gorham and Brian Downey saw me play guitar. Their management was there. And it was right at the time that they had a spot open. And, um, you know, again, it was uh, credit to my wife because we were, you know, we were trying to figure out our next move as a family and what we were going to do. And when the Thin Lizzy thing came up, Terry, I almost passed on it because I was like, well, you know, we're not sure if we're going to move. And, you know, I was committed to Alice. You know, yeah. there was another there was another tour. We were about to go to Australia and the timing wasn't necessarily great. Uh, and my wife said, listen. You know, when we first met, the first mixtape you ever gave me was a Thin Lizzy tape. <laughs> you know, she goes, she goes, Damon, Alice has had 30 guitar players in his life. He's going to be fine. They can get somebody else. She goes, if you don't do this Thin Lizzy thing, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And she was right. She was right. So, uh, yeah, that started that chapter, that journey. And uh, yeah, man, 2011, <clears throat> I joined Lizzie. We toured the States with Judas Priest. And uh, all of 2012, man, we were all over Europe. And I got to go to places I'd never been. And you know, Thin Lizzy's fan base is rabid in the UK. Um, we just did, it, it was just a different energy, man, to be a part of that band. Because, you know, Alice Cooper has had 30 guitar players. Thin, yeah. Lizzy's, ha Thin Lizzy's had like five. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was, uh, it was a big deal. And I love Scott and Ricky Warwick. What a great singer, great just good guys, man. They're, they're my mates. And, uh, you know, we keep in touch to this day. There's a little chatter about maybe some thin Lizzie dates in, in 2022. And I certainly hope that happens because I, I cherish those songs and, and those guys, man, I love those. I'm grateful for those friendships and, uh, we definitely make a joyful noise together. Now I, I always liked how you guys started black star writers because you're gonna you wanted to put out new music, but you didn't want to call it Thin Lizzy. And, yeah, and I, I, I played uh, All Hell Breaks Loose and uh, Killer Instinct a lot on when I had a radio show here in Indianapolis. A lot. Wow, thank you, brother. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, Scott wanted to record some new music, he felt like he had the right band to do that with. There was a minute there where he felt like he wanted to call it Thin Lizzy. And we definitely made the right decision to not do that because, you know, Phil Linett's reach is too broad. Yeah. His, his, he is too special and too unique to the name Thin Lizzy. You know, if you're going to, hey, listen to this Thin Lizzy song, it better have Phil Linett singing yeah. on or it's not Thin Lizzy, period, period. So, Black Star Writers, so much fun, man, writing those songs, making those records. Uh, the fan base was so good to us, um, particularly in the UK. The rock press was so supportive of us. Um, 
I think when they heard all hell breaks loose, they were just relieved that the songs were good, you yeah. know, because <laughs> they love Scott so much and they love Thin Lizzy so much. They would have probably written some nice things, even if the record was just OK. But the record was great. The yeah. songs were great. And um, so the fan base was really there for the band. And, and they still are to this day, man. They're still a Black Star Riders. Um, you know, I just I made those three records with the guys and loved it. Um, I did get to a point where I felt like I was I was working and performing out of the country too much. Yeah, I want I wanted to be closer to my family and and the wheels, you know, the gears were turning, brother, for me to get back behind the microphone myself right. and make some proper records which is obviously, you know, what I've done over the last four years. And, uh, you know, man, I'm, I'm loving it. It's so fulfilling. And um, I didn't, I didn't envision the get ready. You know, I just planned on being Damon Johnson. Yeah. You know, like Gary Moore or like Peter Frampton or sure. like Joe Bonamassa or somebody like that. But um, man, I, I got a new manager a couple years ago the great Kevin Lee and Kevin has been such an asset in my life, man. He, uh, he's, um, he just believes in me. He believes he, he loves, we, you know, he loves the style of music that I write, that I want to perform. Um, and it was Kevin's idea for this last record to, to have a band name on it. He goes, he goes, all you talk about is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Well, we need a, a Damon Johnson into something. <laughs> so that the get ready was his idea. I was going to say that that was that was the next part of my. Yeah, part. baby. I got this from your from your store. Oh, uh, awesome. Awesome, I would, brother. Yeah, that was going to be my next part that that. Now, I think that Battle Lessons is not only the best record of 2021. It's easily the best record of the last 10 years, maybe more. I mean, it's just. It's just amazing. Oh, wow. Wow. Terry, I, thank I, you, man. I, I like it because I, um, it sounds modern, but it also, it, you know, part of it sounds like it could have been made like in the late 80s or, or in the mid 80s or something, but it also sounds like it's made now. I mean, it's not dated sounding. I, I just mean the guitars sound, you know, like that. And I don't know. It, I just really enjoy it. Well, thank you, brother. So proud of that record. I love, there's no album that I've made ever in my life that I have listened to personally more than I listened to Battle Lessons to this day. That, just that, last, that just last week, lot. man. Yeah, just last week. I had it cranked in my truck. <laughs> you know, the, my kids, my daily routine, Terry. <laughs> My daily routine is I, t I get up early and I drive the kids to school about it's about a half hour downtown because they're going they're both going to school down in downtown Nashville. And, you know, they put on their ear pods and, you know, my daughter is listening to Harry Styles and my son is is listening to either. Uh, who knows what the hell he's listening to, man? It's, <laughs> it's rap. It's rap and hip hop. And yeah. there'll be some. There'll be some Metallica and Aerosmith in there every once in a while, but I can play whatever I want. So, man, I will just crank the Battle Lessons record, uh, you know, driving the kids to school. And uh, 
it's fun, man. I mean, I, it gives me the same energy that I had as a kid listening to Highway to Hell or listening to Van Halen too. It's exactly, you know, the record's got those kind of riffs, those kind of songs, big choruses, Nick Raskulinix crushing it, man. Just produced the hell out of that record. I'm so, he's a brother, so grateful for our friendship and, and his involvement in my music. And, uh, and of course the band, man. The band just killed it, man. Robbie and Jared. Jared's, Jared Pope has been my drummer now, man, for almost, I guess now it's be like, we're going about to be our eighth year. Wow. Yeah, because he played on my EP that I made with uh, with Nick back in 2015. We started that. So, um, and Jared and I had been playing together some before that. So, yeah, it's, uh, I really appreciate what you said about the record, Terry. Um, there's some quality songs there. Uh, my main collaborator, Jim Troglin, he is from outer space, man. And he'll, he'll send me an idea that, you know, to the listener, it might sound like either gibberish or just some weird, like a twisted Rolling Stones demo where the shaker is too loud in the mix, you know? <laughs> But I can hear those things and I hear just gold nuggets and I just start pulling stuff out and adding things. And I sit right here at this desk, Terry, and I'll make a demo. You know, I demoed every one of those songs, all nine of them right here at this table. And then I send Jim, you know, the my, like I take it to the end, finish D drums, bass, guitars, background vocals, total completed lyrics and it's always the payoff man it's to play it for jim and he won't text me back he'll call he'll go, holy <laughs> shit bro that's so good so you know he and i were so excited about the songs we knew we had written some quality songs and uh, so he gave me the confidence to call nick and go hey man i know you're busy you're always busy but if you think i've got the songs we need to make this record together. And he could not have been more fired up about the songs, Terry. Look, at the end of the day, everything we're talking about, it's all about songs. Brother Kane, Alice Cooper, Thin yeah. Lizzy, Black Star Writers, the Get Ready. It's all about songs, man. The song, a great song changes everything. Yeah. There's, no, there's no predicting what can happen if there's a great song involved. And it's, um, I don't know, man, that's what makes it so much fun to, to talk to someone like yourself and kind of look back at, at all that. I can't believe I've been a part of all these great songs. Uh, just so fortunate, man, to have a lot of talented people around me and, and uh, you know, people that love music as much as I do and, and that, uh, you know, want to see if we can move the needle a little bit. And, and we've been able to do that sometimes. What uh, what what gave you the idea to do this as a as a trio? Now I, I had been in a lot of four piece bands, but when I was in three piece bands, you seemed to be able to control the dynamics more, you know, live and stuff. You you can, I I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Of course, brother, you can't say it better than that. That's everything. That is the reason. Is those dynamics? Um, there's so much freedom for me 
as the guitar player and the singer to kind of, you know, do this. Yeah. You know, Put I'll lean ball. in and I'll lean in and sing. And, you know, yeah. with a great rhythm section, man, you can take your hands off the guitar sometimes and just grab that microphone. And then the guitar jumps up front. And um, I, it's almost kind of selfish of me to to want to just be in control of those dynamics. And there's no question that I'm feeling it when we play. And, you know, it's a tale as old as time. If the, if the singer is feeling it, you know, the, the audience is going to connect. The audience is going to connect with that. They're going to respond to that. And it just makes for a great show. It makes for a great night out. And, uh, you know, the more of these solo gigs I've done, I've just gotten more confident as a trio. I'll still play with another guitar player sometimes. You know, I love playing oh, sure. with my friend. I love playing with my buddy, Tony Higby. He's a great player. He played on the Memoirs of an Uprising record. Uh, my longtime great friend, Buck Johnson, uh, plays keys with Aerosmith. He's another one of my Alabama brethren. Um, he did a couple shows with us just last year showed up with his piano and his organ and we rocked out and he sang some amazing background vocals. That's fun as well. So, you know, it's like Kevin and I said right from the beginning, you know, a year and a half ago when we came up with the name, the get ready is whoever Damon decides to show up at the gig with, you know, it might be a six piece band one night, <laughs> Terry, you know, <laughs> that's, that's so exciting to me. That's so much fun. That's so much fun. So, uh, yeah. That's that's the plan for this year, man, is to uh, keep the get keep the get ready out there. Um, I think, you know, I just dropped an insanely fantastic video for oh, can't, can't clap any louder. I was going to say a lot, lot of bands don't even put out videos now. And that's the third one from the record. And that is such a great and it's fun, but you, you just can't take your eyes off it. You have to watch it all the way through. And then these days it's hard. It's hard to do that because you're looking at a phone. You're looking at, you know, there's always something going on. But when that plays, you just stop. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, look, we're not changing the world with our number of views on YouTube <laughs> yeah. with that video. But I don't care. I don't care, man. Uh, you know, it's I forget who the guy is that gave this really great. Uh, he did a blog one time. It's been about 10 years ago or more, but. It was called A Thousand True Fans. And the essence was simply all you need is 1,000 true fans and you can create and write and record and put out records the rest of your life. Wow. A thousand true fans will give you that. Now, look, if, you're, if your goal is to be a millionaire and and buy two or three extra properties and drive a fancy car, then no, you're going to need more than that. But that's not me, man. That's not my family. We just want to get to keep creating and playing music for a living. And I, I can't believe I've been able to do it this long, Terry. Um, so uh, I don't know if I got a thousand fans, but I got enough of them that we're going to keep doing this. So uh, there is that. Here, we'll, we'll try to tie this up. I, I had uh, I had some more uh, I had some guitar questions, but we'll save them maybe for another time. Uh, yeah, Because I definitely want to ask you about the the Leonard Skinner thing and filling in for Gary Rossi, because that in itself is an amazing story. It 
it's incredible, man. It's, uh, I've had so many great honors, you know, I've just been so honored to do so many things, all of which we've talked about so far, man. Um, but, you know, credit to my old friend, Ricky Medlock, uh, Johnny Van Zandt, you know, Johnny remembered me from brother Kane, but Ricky, Ricky was really the one that came in and said, Hey, um, you know, we have these dates booked. If we're going to need a guitar player to fill in for Gary, he goes, I know the guy. If his schedule is open and he can do it, this is the guy. And uh, so he and Johnny called me, um, said, you know, they, they had these 23 shows that they needed to finish for the year. And they weren't sure if Gary was going to get to come back at all which ultimately he did not, you know, his health was not to the point that he could come back. So I think in a lot of ways, Gary was kind of my first guitar hero. Really, man. Like before any of those bands, I talked about at the start of the interview as a kid, you know, I'm from the South. Um, You know, Leonard Skinner was our Beatles. Leonard Skinner was, was our, you too. They were our Guns N' Roses. They were the biggest band. Their songs, their music was the soundtrack of not just our lives, but of everything we did. You would hear them yeah. in the grocery store at the football games, walking to class at, in, in junior high school, man. They would have it playing over in the hallway of the little speakers, you know? So um, I feel it's almost kind of spiritual, man to to play those parts in that band and i don't take it lightly i will never take it for granted and i am committed to serving that music and most importantly serving gary and those fans that fan base has been there for that band even for 45 years after the plane crash, you know, it's, 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 there's no other story in the history of music like the Leonard Skinner story. So, um, whatever the future holds with that, you know, if they, if they need me, I want to do everything I can to help them. And, um, it's just been the thrill of my life, man. You know, such a thrill. Uh, all of my kids were able to come see the show at at one at one time or another this year, all five of them, I have some adult kids and two teenagers still at home, but you know, they all came. They're like, wow, dad is playing in mm-hmm. Leonard's game. <laughs> it's a big deal. <laughs> so um, I'm really grateful, man. I love that band. I love those songs. And I certainly love Gary Rosenton. And uh, he is, uh, he's the original man. He's the OG. So uh, nothing but love and respect for him. And uh, I want to do, I'm going to bring my 100% A game every time. Well, at the end of the day, the most important thing right now is this. I'm holding up Adolescence record for those on the listen to the audio podcast. Tell them where they can go to get this. Not only this, an autograph, but several other albums, uh, T-shirts, all kinds of stuff. Where, where, Where can they go? Terry, you know where to send them, baby. DamonJohnson.com. 
it's as, it's as, it's better than Amazon people. You can get, <laughs> you can get stuff at DamonJohnson.com. You cannot get on Amazon or at target. So, uh, yeah, man, I got a great website. I got a great web store. So many cool things on there. Uh, a lot of things, man, for the interested fan. And most importantly, all the music is there. All, uh, all my CDs and stuff is available. We got battle lessons on vinyl. We still got some of those in stock. Uh, a lot of cool shirts. Every guitar pick I've ever had in my whole career, man, you can get one on, uh, on my store. And uh, Terry, it's just been so special, man, talking to you. I've, I've talked way long. I don't know that I've talked to anybody as long as yeah, I've I, talked to I, you. <laughs> I, I, I totally did that. Man. I, I, was, I planned on keeping this like 40 minutes and we went an hour and a half. Yeah, man. Well, the good, the good news is I'm still in time for dinner. My wife okay. is like, you can, my wife is like, Damon, you can do all the interviews you want, but six o'clock, it's dinner time. I got to right. keep those, got to keep those kids got on a schedule. Got so. it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this and, and we'll catch up further down the road, brother. And, you know, when you have something else out, definitely come back. Terry, listen to me, buddy. Thank you. All the best to you. Continued success, continued good health to you. And uh, it's been really great talking to you and, and, uh, and getting to know you, man, even, uh, even if it's just through Twitter. So, uh, yeah, man, all the best. Thank you for all the kind words and for talking about the music. And, uh, yeah, man, battle lessons. Let's go. All right. We'll see you. Thanks again. All right, brother. Take Bye. care. Bye. I'd like to thank Damon Johnson for all his wonderful time today. Be sure to go to DamonJohnson.com for all kinds of information, tour dates, and a great web store. That's DamonJohnson.com. And also go to TBPCPodcast.com and click that donate button. We'll see you next time.